Awesome, man. Well, we're the time has flown by already, so we're going to pivot over to the, the three things game. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, what month is your birthday in? August. John? Yep. Oh, same. Yes. Let's go. Oh, okay, what day? August 12th. You're lying. Is it your birthday too? Yes. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, unplanned, y'all. Yeah. Unplanned. That's wild. Welcome to the Bro Novo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show this week. As always, I'm sending a heartfelt thank you to tuning in and spending an hour with me and my guest. A few housekeeping items here before we start. We are definitely still in the growth phase of the podcast, so if you have not sent it out to anyone who you think would enjoy it, please do so. Send it on out. And also... Regarding the form, the Google form I have filled out about future topics, there are a lot of you who listen every week who haven't filled it out. I see you lurking. Come on now. Show me some love. Get in there. Tell me what you want to hear about, and I'll make it happen for you. It'll make your listening experience more enjoyable and will help me out too by giving you the content that you want to hear. So thank you very much for doing that. Now to this week's episode. My guest today is Jonathan Dumas. Jonathan is the founder and owner of Common Culture Coaching and Consulting. He's passionate about leadership and equitable workplaces. He has a master's degree in organizational psychology and specializes in organizational and team development. He has coached and consulted across industries. He has a track record of creating sustainable and thriving cultures that encourage diversity, equity, inclusivity, and justice. He's also the host of his own podcast called Real Talk with Duma, where he has meaningful and substantive conversations on society and culture. Jonathan is the man. I really enjoyed our conversation. So at this point, I'm going to stop talking and let you enjoy this week's episode of the Bro Nouveau Podcast. And we're live. What's up, Jonathan? Hey, man. What's going on with you? Dude, chilling. Killing. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Remember uh, About to call movie? the police, G. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, well, thank you so much for taking the time. And I can give you a bit of an introduction for what I understand. So you are... A dude living down in SoCal. Yeah. Are you from California originally? Yes, I am. I'm originally from California. Uh, I know a lot of people move here, um, especially in Southern California, <laughs> move here. And then, um, but yeah, born and raised in um, San Diego, California, um, Chula Vista, more specifically. It's like eight minutes away from the border. Spent a lot of my life down that way. And then my family moved up to uh, this small, desert town called in, in the inland empire it's called barstow california it's literally like your last stop before if you're driving um going to las vegas it's literally the last stop um but that was just kind of like by accident we landed there and then i left as soon as i possibly could <laughs> because it was <laughs> i went from a place that was like literally two million people in san diego to like less than twenty five thousand, and i'm like i can't i'm good I'm so good. So I left yeah. and um, moved moved out of there as soon as I could, as soon as I graduated high school, actually. For sure. Yeah. Could you see yourself going back to a, a small community like that ever again in your life? That's a great question. I thought I could. Um, I really, I have thought about that, actually. Like, as I, like me and my partner, like, debate the idea of having kids, potentially, potentially not. 
because there there are a lot of cool benefits of like being in a smaller town. It's slower. Um, everybody knows each other. It, it really does give like vi- a community vibe and, and a community of care. Um, but I just really like being not necessarily in the city, but like the outskirts of the city, just having access to a whole lot more. So I guess I just talked myself out of it. So no, I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel yeah. like, I don't know. A lot of people say that about cities, right? They say, mm. oh, it's a great place to visit, but I can never live there. I kind of feel like that about rural places yep. or just smaller towns. Great to visit, kind of unwind. Mm-hmm. But the only other thing is that I, I have this dream of growing my own food and mm-hmm. fruits and vegetables and leafy greens and all that. Yeah. So I think there are, there are ways to, to do that in an urban setting, but that's the one thing that, that would really move me because that's just such a life that's just such a lifestyle change of Absolutely. having healthy nutritious food I and mean, being connected to it you know yep that you grow too that you grow yeah. for sure um i uh yeah i love to like garden and plant and stuff like that so like one of the big things that i want is like if we are able to buy a home um it's just it's, it's just like a dream um, out here in yeah. California. But when, if we're able to buy a home, I would love to like have a garden and, and do that. Just like that is like a, a must. Like that is a for sure. Um, 100%. I, yeah, I think about like even, I don't know. I, I, it is a lifestyle change even going to like a rural place. I'm trying to think of, cause my partner, she grew up in like a smaller town. Um, it's not super small, but it's less than like 50,000, I think less than 60. Um, but it's not San Diego. Like it's not, it's not anything like that. It's just outside of Twin Cities, one of those suburbs out there. So, um, but I absolutely love being in like LA. Like I really do love it. That's great, man. It's, it's on my list. So we connected via a, like a podcaster. Super exclusive. No, I'm yeah. <laughs> this is but a you, podcast date nap or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but you have a show and it's kick ass, man. I listened to a few episodes. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. For sure. I like your approach because you have conversations with your almost immediate circle or people that you know really well. Mm. So what did you, or I guess when you were deciding to go that that approach, why did you decide to go with kind of intimate people as opposed to connecting via the internet or in, you know, with random people day to day. Yeah. Um, so I'm a, I'm gonna try my best cause I can be long awaited. So I'm gonna try my best to like, uh, be concise. So I think it really started with, um, my brothers. And so all three of us, um, actually all of us have different dads. My mom had, had me at a young age. Um, actually all of us at a pretty young age by the time she was 20, um, four, she already had three kids. So, Um, but all of us experience like a lot of life together, but at the same time, we all experience life very, very differently and had different stages of like where my mom was. Like my mom had me when she was 15, um, my other brother, 18, and then my other youngest brother, 24. And so like all these different like life experiences that are just happening differently from the same person. So we're experiencing my mom as she's like getting older, getting wiser, getting more established, learning more about herself, more learning more about even raising kids, um, raising three black sons. And so um, it actually, the idea was really just birthed out of that. I just really um, was so curious about the idea of like, how can we all have been raised by the same person under the same roof and just all come out very, very differently. Um, and then it kind of like blossomed into like me 
wanting to learn more about the people that were in my life and then kind of like branch out more. I, I feel like people like, oh, I want to talk to this person, just learn more about them. I, I wanted to start with the people that I thought I knew the most and just ask them really intentional questions um, and get to know them a whole lot more, which kind of like speaks to like how I even go about doing like my daily work, job, all that stuff, because I feel like how we interact with the world is like almost representative of how we interact with the people that are like in our immediate circle. And these are the the uh, foundational pieces on how we, you know, learn to interact and, and care for people, and love for people and be honest and talk or whatever. So I just want to get back to my roots. And it has been a fun, fun journey. I've learned so much. Um, and it's kind of grown and blossomed. I, I now speak to people outside of just like my immediate circle. Um, but it, it was really fun. to. It's been really fun to put that that pod together for sure. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. So, so by the time you were 20, your mom was 35. Yes. Which is <laughs> a, almost, you could be, I'm sure you, well, I don't know. You tell me, is it a friend relationship at that point? Is it a, is it still a, like she's squarely your mother or is it a, you know, co-parenting almost like, you know, cause you're the oldest too. So I yeah. imagine you, you had to be, you know, an adult or like be a, a caretaker at certain moments. What was that like? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'm honestly really curious about how my mom would answer this. Um, to be honest, cause like we, I mean, we were attached to the hip, honestly, wherever she went, obviously I went. Um, and so I, I, I think a good portion of our, my life, because my mom was so young, like there wasn't this dynamic of like, uh, of like this hierarchy, right? Where like I am the parent, I know absolutely everything, and like really domineering um, over my life or whatever. And so she, all, all I know my mom to be to be is is like really honest and open, really caring and loving, and really didn't want to like control what I decided to do. Like she was honest about what she wanted me to do, but she didn't, really didn't want to control what I want, uh, what what I did, and everything like that. So I, I had a, it was funny because I was like sheltered a lot, but I also um, had a lot of freedom. Um, uh, in our relationship to ask questions, to, um, really like, um, argue and debate, um, uh, uh, not in a disrespectful sense. And sometimes, yeah, cause you know, all that, right. but I think it like, I just had conversations with my mom all of the time. Um, and so I think there was a, a part of our relationship. It was hella rocky. Um, it was just really, really destructive. But right now I would say my mom is one of my best friends like, and I really do um, mean that like my mom was really one of my, one of my best friends. We talk, um, not every day, uh, cause she has her own life and I have my own life, but like literally we have our midweek talks and then we talk on the weekend, um, uh, and just catch up and, um, we laugh a whole lot. Um, and I try and like, from a business perspective, like try and give my two cents. Cause that's what I always do. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it, it's really, it's just really funny. I, I, uh, I'm really curious how, about how my mom would answer that question. Cause when I think back to it and I've had therapy to help me out with this, I've talked to like my therapist about it, about how I actually interacted with my siblings. And a lot of it was like a, almost like a parent, like that, that role was parent. Um, but I would have never said it growing up that I'm like second parent, but, um, but I, it's funny. I'm trying to like unlearn that, that kind of like mentality and like move back into like a, a brother relationship because like my brother, my brother, my youngest brother already has a dad. He don't need me. Um, and like, he already has a mom. He doesn't need that. So he has two siblings or he has two parents. Like he needs a sibling at this point. Right. Um, and similar with my other brother, although his relationship with his dad is like Rocky. 
Um, my, he just needs a brother. He doesn't need somebody just bossing him, telling him what to do. He just really needs somebody to be like, Hey, I've been through this. And like, this is how I would approach it. Take it how you want it. Blah, 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 whatever you want. But yeah, that, I'm, I want to know what my mom would say to that. I have, I might have to ask her that <laughs> next time I talk to her. Awesome. Um, yeah, that's funny. That's a good question. Yeah, man, that's cool. I have been, you know, in reading and thinking about this stuff. Often I've, I've learned that when there is a, a dicey relationship between parents, mm. the child is the one who has to kind of step up and be the partner to the mom, for example, say it's a boy child and then a mom who's in a marriage that isn't great. Mm. The like subconsciously it'll happen that the, the, the kid steps up and gives the mom some type of support or stability or whatever it is that she's not getting in the marriage, Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. Like all that is, I would say falls in the realm of like, things that aren't discussed or acknowledged in the family dynamic, unless you go to therapy or unless you think about it really intentionally. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I also, I listened to the pod with your youngest brother and I thought that was really interesting because you were describing how he's going to wise beyond his years. And there's that, a true like equal playing field kind of vibe is what I got. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have that with my siblings too. I would say I'm the youngest, but we all have our strengths and our moments where we lead in the family and kind of help each other out. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. And then I've been kind of re navigating my relationship with my parents as my, my parents split up when I was 21 ish. Mm, okay. It's kind of an interesting age. Cause it's like old enough to have, you know, autonomy obviously out of the house and doing all that. But then also it's like, there's that moment after the, the split up where the parent becomes the, sorry, the, yeah, the, the, the child becomes the parent almost and gets the parent through that rough moment. And then it's like, what does that relationship look like after that? Cause it's kind of been changed fundamentally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You try and just not even navigating that. Um, like, uh, it's like a boundaries reset. Um, yeah, I, I just remember what my, when, when my stepdad, um, and my mom split up. Yeah. It was just kind of, it happens. Yeah. When I was younger and just like, it was really tough. Yeah, I know. I, I can't imagine going through that like in an older age. I would imagine that you're a little bit older, a little bit wiser. Um, but I, I experienced it around like 11 or 12. And it was just, uh, it was just really tough to kind of like see my mom navigate that and like me. Yeah. Like you mentioned with that study that you saw, um, kind of like try and fill that gap and fill that role and try to be that support system that my mom needs. Um, but it's funny because like even like later on in high school that after I did that role for so long, and I don't know if, you're even experiencing this now, but doing that, like she tried to like reset it in like a, a weird way. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, like, it was just, it was just like, uh, it's just like, um, when she started dating again and trying to put herself out there and me always having to something to say about the guys she was dating. And, and to my, to, to my credit, I wasn't wrong about him. But she didn't want me to tell her. <laughs> she didn't want me to tell her that I was that I was right about them. Um, and maybe the way I went about it wasn't the healthiest way. Well, I know for a fact it wasn't the healthiest way. But um, yeah, it's just uh, just resetting those boundaries is always hard too. Um, yeah, it, it's taken some therapy to get to this point to like kind of reset even my boundaries with my mom. Even being in a relationship now, resetting them again. Just like it's almost like a, you're always constantly like 
resetting those boundaries and trying to understand and and like where not where do they fit because they'll always fit if you have like healthy somewhat healthy family family dynamics but how yeah just how is this going to rest i guess now like i don't know it, it it's been it's been really it's really really interesting how have you been how have you been navigating that over the last few years with with your parents yeah well first i have a joke to make like you yeah. go up behind your mom you whisper you're like he sucks <laughs> <laughs> It was more like it was more like yelling too. It's just like this dude freaking sucks, mom. Like what the hell? Yeah, get out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's been good. It's been interesting. My mom actually remarried very recently. Oh wow, this month. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's great. I mean, it's it's happy days. The her new husband's awesome. I've known him. They were like in our neighborhood in the Philly, and so I knew of him and friends with his kids and stuff. So it's it's good. Okay. I think that deserves more attention, honestly. If I were to think about it more critically, because we were there, you know, all of our family were there for each other, really through the tough times, right? And I don't know that that is a relationship that deserves more attention. I guess is my takeaway about, yeah, just I guess better, more thorough check-ins. Just living coast to coast is tough. Yeah, but as you said, I mean, you talked weekly bi-weekly so yeah there's no reason not to yeah i mean i try to even if it's just like quick check-ins i think a lot of times my mom's calling me to complain about her job <laughs> to be honest <laughs> uh, and so um just like just hearing some of the jokes and whatnot um yeah but i i would say that my so my partner is just like she talks to her mom or, or her parents like pretty consistently like really consistently I think at the beginning of our relationship or even our marriage, it was probably like, I would say sometimes it was like three to four times a week. And I'm like, Oh my God, dog. Anytime her mom was going <laughs> on a walk, she calls like, she'll call Lens, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think I, I like gleaned off of that a little bit more of like, it's really not that hard. Like um, who's to say that we have to like schedule a check-in, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, I was thinking about this question the other, the other week. It's like, who is like, who is on that list of people that you could just call and they would pick up? Like, you don't have to schedule it. Like, who is that people? Who are, who are those folks that you can just call? And my list wasn't really that long. Like, including my mom, obviously, but um, it really was not that long of people that, like, one, if they were to call me, I would pick up. But uh, two, if I were to call them that I know for a fact or, like, high guarantee that they would either pick pick up or they would call me back when they had a chance. Um, for sure. It's kind of like that change and shift now. Like, it's just like, oh, we don't randomly call people anymore. It's just, I know. It's just wild. My mom still it's randomly calls me. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a total random caller. Yeah. And I love that. I think it's, I mean, it's real. It's like, yeah. tell me what's going on in your brain right now. How's, yep. how's the world feeling and looking to you? Mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. And those relationships are really valuable to people that you can't do that with. Mm hmm. Although I do have the friends that I just know they're literally like, don't call me unless you're in jail or dying. Yeah, it needs to be an emergency to call me. You need yeah. to text me or something. Yeah. And there's some of my best friends like have my back for always, but yeah. I just know that about them. I think, I think that's funny, but that's yeah, hilarious. that's a lost art, man. I think generationally and just... People don't know how to talk. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's you know? real. And you probably see that in your work, right? As yeah. a as a facilitator of of 
DNI competency in organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Cause it's hard for people to talk as we've acknowledged. There's a reason why podcasts are popular. Mm-hmm. There's something about conversation that is calming and, and enriching somehow. But yeah, how, how does that show up for you in your, in your work as far as people's ability or inability to converse? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, goodness. I, um, it is, it is like, I think the, so I'm not one of the people that have just been like, oh, you know, 2020 happened and I decided to do DEI work. Like, that's not actually it. Like, I'm, I've, I've been in this, like, and so is my partner. She's been doing this for, um, for several years too. And so, like, we were already like sharing and leading stuff and teaching people, like, the nest, the, the necessity of like this work. Um, and so like it is um, w- from what I've seen from folks, they are so willing and I'll just be really explicit from like white people, white men in particular, like so ready to do it until it costs them something because like, that's what it is. And it's like, it's so hard. It's, it's so hard to uh, communicate uh, with folks the, the need for it. Right. The, I'll, I'll answer your question this way. Organizations are really good about like marketing and they market what they, what they believe is going to make them money. And so right now, social justice is hot. It's going to make you money. And if you, you promote or like even climate change is hot. So they're going to, they're going to promote it and make you money and, and phrase things well and pay people a lot of money to phrase it well and, and do things. I, there's very few companies that I've seen that are actually doing the necessary changes. Uh, or the necessary work that actually cause the systemic or societal changes that are necessary, right? Um, like hiring a, a diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice person is is cool, but like, uh, what is that position there for? My, I should not have to have this job. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I shouldn't have to formulate my company around diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice work and organizational development work for for companies. Like, I really shouldn't have to do it. Like, my my job right. should not exist. You In know concept, it, it shouldn't yeah. exist. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so like, if, if racism doesn't exist, my job doesn't exist. If um, sexism doesn't exist, if, if genderism and homophobia and all these different things, if those things don't exist, then we, then we're in a good place. So I think as far as like to get to heart of your question, like people aren't good about having these conversations. A lot of times white people have never had conversations around race or it was like literally like told to them not to because like to talk about race is rude. But like you have a bunch of people of color, um, persons of color that are um, talking about race pretty consistently all the time because like we just do it. Um, and so like you get that jumbled together and it's just like a bunch of uh, convoluted mess um, and and. And I, I think what I've witnessed the most is like, is like there is just a lot of miscommunication happening um, when it comes to that. But there's also a lot of black and brown people that are so exhausted and tired of talking about these things because like, oh, wow, like you're just now seeing it. But I'm telling you what I need to do to fix it. But you don't want to do that. So you don't want to fix it. So then like, all right. Okay. <laughs> so, right. It's so, like, so, yeah, it's a long conversation. Why would I answer, talk but if like, you're not going to listen? Yeah. So it's like yeah. you, you have to be willing to do the necessary work outside of just words, right? It's out. It's beyond words. It's it's really like putting you know your reputation on the line. It's it's really putting your your money where your mouth is. It's really like giving up like 
positions of power and authority. Like, because if you want organizational change, you step aside and listen to the marginalized communities that are impacted by the hurt and harm that are are in place, or also like just systems that have been implicitly in place um, that are actually doing more harm than good. Yeah, all that to say is conversations are hard, um, especially with businesses and money when money's involved. Like, people don't want to give up um, power and authority; they don't want to do it. I can see that. Yeah. And I've seen that behavior in myself as far as the, oh, it's not my place to talk here. So much so to the point, dude, where like I am involved with and started a alumni for allyship group in my high school. Mm-hmm. And it's great. We're kind of making impactful programming. And it, well, one of the sessions where I was involved as like a, a speaker panel, it was a panel of alumni from the school and parents, mostly people of color, alumni and parents of color mm. and a few white guys as, cause it was all, all boys school. Okay. And to also, you know, be in the conversation and it, this like ingrained behavior was so deep that even in that moment, I, I started off by saying, I just want to acknowledge that this isn't you know necessarily my space to talk. And the moderator, Anthony, who's been on this podcast was like, Tom, I literally brought you here to talk. What are you talking? Like, what, what are you doing right now? <laughs> and I was like, "Oh shit, you're right." Yeah. <laughs> so that was a very humbling moment. Yeah. You know, it's like even I like I like put in the effort to put myself in that position to participate, mm-hmm. and I still fell back on the conditioned behavior, which is really bad. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. like not. That's not what we're looking for. That's so funny because, and then like, I, I think of all the dynamics, right? And this could not be what happened, but I think about like, oftentimes when I have seen this work out or play out in, um, in organizations, like I was, uh, at my old job, I was part of like this DEI initiative last year. And so, um, they, what happened was, is that like, I, we get these breakout rooms and we, we made it so that these breakout rooms could just like, you know, facilitate like deeper conversation amongst like smaller groups, right? And what would happen is that like I was in groups that were like predominantly persons of color and we're all sharing, we're chopping it up, going into it. And you got that one or two lonely white folks and they're just quiet. And they're like, my place is to listen and not say right. anything, which is like, <laughs> yes, there is a place and a time for that. But like, uh, but there's also like other, uh, there's the other groups that I was in where like white people are all like all in there and they're uh they're also hesitant to talk because i'm present they don't like there's not like a a brave space created right and so like there has to be a balance between like not just safe places but like brave spaces to speak and share what's going on and typically you can set some rules and boundaries for that but like it is it's hard it is really hard there's like dynamics popping off all over the place because white people don't (laughs) want to make mistakes and piss off the person of color or come off racist because race being a racist is the worst thing for a white person which is like racism is a um, it is a it is not like a character like an absolute like ingrained character piece like you can unlearn racism so it's it's um it it, it is really it is really wild it's it's so sometimes racism is just funny it's just like I just laugh at it because you're just like <laughs> that's the only thing you can do sometimes because you're like God yeah. damn like really like come on now. Um, yeah. But anyways, yeah, no, I feel I feel that I've, I've witnessed that a, a bunch of times. But um, yeah. my thing is like a place really ain't inclusive if no, not everybody's at the table, right? So for sure, and that is one of the kind of core messages I want to drive home too for my audience listening is that be brave, have those conversations in your family if you're white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bring it up. They're not going to disown you. 
they have to love you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they might not like you, but they'll love you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it, I even had a friend recently talk about it and he was saying how he was with a group of like cousins from whatever. And they were, you know, talking about how they, the resistance to, you know, the, the, like the movement and saying some problematic stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was like, but I just, I know I'm not going to change their mind. I know, you know, they're not, is it going to, is this going to cause more problems? And I was like, yeah, may, probably. But also like you're obligated to say something. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, if you believe in this stuff and you, and you say you believe in it, that's where it comes up. And that's where you got to, like you said, you know, put your actions behind, behind the words. And he's not even someone who, who is particularly like, invested in this but i was just like dude like you have access to that space that no black person does so yeah get in there buddy yeah you know like, and if i did they wouldn't listen to me anyways <laughs> so, yeah yeah you know what i'm saying <laughs> so i think um one of the things that i always say is like somebody asked me a, a few weeks ago and they said what would you like what is the advice that you give you know people that are trying to engage in this conversation and this is not just like white people uh too it's like there's other folks that like really are trying to learn how to navigate these conversations in work um in their interpersonal relationships outside of work um you know even outside of race the conversation of race and it's just like yo do it um, make a mistake do it again so like make a mistake own account uh, be accountable to yourself be accountable to the person that if you cause harm if you do any of that stuff and then also like do it again. Like the only way you're going to learn how to do this, talk about this, you don't need to pr- be a professional because like you'll never know the ins and outs of absolutely every single justice topic that is hot and popping right now. There's absolutely no way. Um, as much as social <laughs> media tries, all the social media warriors out there, shout out to you. But the, but the, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, is like, uh, like how, how do we know we're not going to change hearts and minds? You know what I'm saying? How do we know that we're not going to have a conversation that like makes people think at the very least makes people think? And like, they don't say those things out loud, or at least in the vicinity of you anymore, because you know, for a fact that they won't be saying those things anymore, especially if it's straight out of pocket, you know, let's try calling folks in like, yo, like, what is that? Why do you say that? Like, why do you think Mm -hmm. that about them? Did you know that white people also loot and tear stuff down? They just call it tailgating, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Or or stuff like that. Like, (laughs) um, you know, like it's like, let's like, let's rethink and reshape um, all these things. Cause like, there's not, you can't just put plaster on like black lives matter and say like, Oh, there was looting and rioting 90, like 97% was peaceful protest. Gee, um, what are you talking about? So you're going to go bait. You're going to disown an entire movement based off of 3%. Um, how much are you doing your research? Come on, let's talk about that. Um, let's keep it all the way funky. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's kind of like stuff like that. Like that's how I approach the conversation. I'm, I don't try and be aggressive. I don't try to be mean. I just want you to think about what you're saying. If you're going to say that, Stand by what you say, but I just want you to have all the facts. If you're going to be wrong, I just want to show you. <laughs> For sure. You show you what, what you're necessarily wrong about. Um, and then if you're going to stand by that, stand by that. But um, I try not to be, a, you know, a dick about it. Uh, but that's what I would encourage people also. Um, sometimes you do need to call people out and just be like, uh, um, what you call it? Just like. <laughs> Yeah. Just, 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 just that needs schooling. to be firm. Yeah, yeah. just needs to be firm. But yeah, um, more times than not, it doesn't really call for that. It really calls for just like, let's get this back on track. 
Yeah, I like yeah. that that concept of call people in to the fold mm-hmm. as opposed to calling them out. And, the, and I think there are two things that came up there that are really relevant, reflecting our society. Mm-hmm. So one would be the call-out culture. Mm-hmm. And where's the line between productive call calling out and unproductive so people dig in their heels and just are more in their echo chamber and then two would be this you know the simplistic evaluation and kind of the narrative of what black lives matter is Mm -hmm. it's it it kind of reflects the whole just our whole instant gratification culture our social media culture of Mm -hmm. show me something that i can process and understand and make a judgment on in half a second Yep. Because that's how our brains are being trained by social media. Yep. These these conversations that are they have given back and forth. Like when we first connected, I was curious to hear your perspective on the whole like individual accountability perspective, because that's something that a lot of I would say people who who oppose the school of the systemic nature of the problems point to, you know, individual accountability as a as an avenue, as a a better kind of talking point as far as improving outcomes than mm. the systemic nature. So that, you know, like room for those kinds of conversations needs to be created Yeah, because these topics are complex and deserve more than just a, a headline, you know, kind of judgment call. Absolutely. I, I, and I get frustrated cause I've actually thought about, I've thought about this more and more um, because it's so, it's so frustrating that like, and especially as like a re- like a, a researcher, like I did my I did my undergrad in history, political science, um, minor in pre law, minor in like uh, philosophy, and then I also did my master's degree in like organizational psychology. So like literally research, having facts, having evidence to back and support what you're sharing and what you're saying, um, and then also examining history. And so like when we and I get caught and even still I get caught up in it. Like I see a headline, I get pissed off, you know what I'm saying? But I don't know the story or the history or the thing behind that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I think that's what's frustrating about like the social media culture that we're in right now. It's like, there's such quick snap judgments um, that like, I don't, I don't even get into like Instagram debates. Like I don't get into Facebook debates. There was one time I had to go off on somebody <laughs> um, it was MLK. It was King Day. I was not having it. He oh, tried to dude. insert himself in a conversation. He oh, had no yeah. business being. But um, so I had to school him. Um, <laughs> Read the room. <laughs> I know, bro. Just not on King Day. Not on King Day. Um, so, um, but so like I, I've always told people if you ever want to have a conversation with me, if you disagree with anything I say on Instagram, or I post because I'll post stuff, um, just to get people to think, uh. Or even an episode that I post about like, you know, and I talk about racism, systemic racism, um, edu- educational resist, uh, racism, uh, redlining, all these different things. If you ever want to have a conversation with me, like, let's have a conversation. I had a conversation with somebody who um, disagreed with me about the equal pay um, that the U.S. Women's National Team is fighting for. You know what I'm saying? Like, I had a conversation offline with somebody. He was wrong, but I had a conversation with them. And it was right. like a dialogue. You know what I'm saying? Like. I don't like debating folks or arguing with folks because all we're trying to do is like prove each other wrong. And I, I want to walk away with something right. Um, that's why I'm incredibly frustrated with our current political landscape right now. It's like you got Democrats who are like 
too scared to do anything because they're scared of what's going to happen in next year's election and what's going to happen in 2024. And then you also have Republicans who are literally digging in their heels or saying like, look what they're doing. They're not doing anything. And then also like leaning into, um, I'm not even going to say Trumpism because like Trumpism has like grown out of grown bigger than Trump. Like it's literally grown bigger than Trump. Like there's people that are coming out of the woodworks that are a lot worse than who he, who he, who he is and who he was. So it's like you have these two budding ideas and it's just like nothing's getting done. Nothing's happening. Meanwhile, um, the masses, you know, um, working class, middle class are like struggling. So like, so like what, so going back to your original question, sorry, I get on soapbox real quick. Um, but, uh, (laughs) but, um, what I would say is like, you know, if we're going to have conversations like that, if we're going to debate between like systemic racism and then this individual like accountability, right? Like, can we have like, substantive and meaningful conversations on a solution. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. I'll debate all I'll not debate. I will conversate with you all day. If we're working towards something better, if we're creating actual change, that's going to work and what compromise looks like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I I don't want an all, I'll say this. I wouldn't want an all democratic, uh, like from the top down, um, from state federal, um, to local government, and nor the, nor would I want a, an all Republican top down to um, to the very bottom um, government either, because like if you have one system that is working, like there's a lot of people that are losing. We have to work into a place of where how they used to do it was like levels of compromise and working together to coming to a better solution that like comes from different perspectives. Um, but I will not, the thing is I won't tolerate racism. I'm not going to tolerate sexism. I'm not going to tolerate homophobia. I'm not going to tolerate any of those ism, other isms. Right. Um, but as long as we're working towards an, an actual solution, I don't want to, I don't want to debate semantics. I'm not going to debate, you know, what, what way are, um, do I believe systemic racism exists and, and what about individual accountability? I mean, we could, but like, what are we doing? You know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. totally. I, 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 and I get why people want to offer a different perspective, but a lot of times what I've seen people that offer like that different perspective, uh, cherry pick different examples in society that they see or in history that they see. Um, and, and, or they do that for clickbaits and vice versa. People do it for systemic racism all the time. I see people who have literally made a living off of like talking about systemic racism and not really doing any actual work for societal change. Um, so like, yeah, I, I get frustrated all the way around. Um, because like, I'm, I'm a, one of my top strengths is like execution maximizer. Like let's get something done because like, I've w- literally lived through, um, lived through enough, uh, and also witnessed enough people that go through shit all the time. Like they're still suffering while we're having these arguments about pointless, meaningless stuff. So for sure. I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. Cause it's like, is your, you know, is, is the, the person who is starting the conversation, is it because you really think, yeah, that making that distinction is going to lead to a better solution or is it because, you want a scapegoat and you're more comfortable blaming people mm-hmm. for their situation than, I, yeah, I, I, I like that. Yeah. And it literally could be, look, the thing is, it literally probably could be both. Like systemic yeah. racism exists and then also people make stupid ass decisions. <laughs> but, but, but history will tell yeah. us that systemic racism actually is real because, you know, this was, this system, like legislation, all that stuff was built by, you know, old white people with money. I'm not going to just say, uh, I'm not even going to say white people in general. It's old white people with money, um, land, power, authority, 
um, that built this system. And then like, we are left to like kind of navigate it. But the people that were marginalized are the people that don't have money, that don't have power, that don't have authority and people that have darker skin. So like, that's the, that's the reality of our system. And so like, how are we going to undo all of that? Um, and then also in the midst of that, people do dumb shit all the time, break the law, rob people, steal people, uh, steal from fe- folks. But like, that's not designated by a color. All kinds of, all colored people, um, do that. So all people of, all people of different races do that. I'm going to clean that yeah, there's, up. <laughs> there's stupid people everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, I, dude, I was, I was in a Wikipedia hole the other day mm. and I was, you know, I was reading about Trump and I was like, oh, I succeeded in office by Biden. And I was like, dang, like these old ass white guys. I'm like, these guys don't represent our country. I do not. It's like, I don't know. I, obviously this is more a thought exercise, but it's kind of like, like that, the old institution, like gripping on to the, the power, you know, mm-hmm. it's like we won't give it up. Yeah. Even the makeup of the Senate, the house and the Congress, you know, the, the Congress with the, House of Representatives in the Senate. I mean, I don't know what the current data is, but I would be shocked if it was anything more than thirty percent people of color and women. Yeah, it's it's probably it, still seventy odd percent white dudes, right? Yeah. I don't know. We it's, can look it up really quickly. It's really it's really wild. Um, and when you, it's just like if you see a picture, like if you see a picture of it, it's it's one of the most wild things. Like even looking at the Senate and and uh, um the House, it's just it's just wild to look at. Like, is this truly representative of, of the U.S.? It is, it's unbelievable. And then, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. You got like these, and I'm not, the thing is, I want to make very clear. I'm not saying that, um, old people just as soon as you hit a certain age, like you're done. Like that's, that's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, what I, what I, what I am saying is like, there is this like belief that like, the way that they did things worked and the way that they did things will still work now. And that's just not the case. That's just not the case. We tried it. Hasn't worked. <laughs> I, I mean, it has not, it hasn't worked. The climate is outrageous. Whether you want it, whether you think that the science is made up, whatever it's getting hotter. Shit is getting weird. Um, middle class sure. has been stuck and the, the, the money has been stagnant in that area for years. The tax system is whack. I don't understand taxes. It's the tax law. Like books are like high, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just wild. It's like what you're doing is not working obviously. So like, yeah, you know, pass the baton. It's just pass the baton. You know? Yeah. There are so many examples of that. Like looking deeper and thinking deeper into the way things are. makes no sense. I mean, even, <clears throat> Corruption on a at a city level, for example. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in Philadelphia right now. There's like a lot of known corruption in local government in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of been accepted. You know, it's like Chicago, for example. All these cities, there's a there's a massive paper trail, but that's not really talked about. Yeah. You know, we talk about countries like Russia as being corrupt, but yeah. I don't know. It's 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 crazy to think about and so here's a good one, a question. I, th- I think it'll be a good, good question. So sometimes it can be daunting. Sometimes I get, I get overwhelmed thinking about there's so many issues. There's so much that so much good to be done. So for you, how do you conceptualize of a solution and how do you make it less abstract and overwhelming and more tangible as an executor, as you said? Yeah. 
I, um, yeah, I, I, like the last few weeks actually were really hard for me. I'm not gonna lie. Like I talked to my therapist about just like, I've had multiple really rough days, really difficult to get out of, out of bed. Just like mm-hmm. depressing, um, depression, anxiety is just so real. And like, they're just like mm-hmm. wet blankets and make it impossible. Like, honestly. Yeah. Um, so like Thanks mental illness, that, yeah, no worries. Like mental illness is like, you know, uh, People got to people got to take it serious. People got to take it serious. Even people that are going through it, take your take your mental um, health very seriously. Um, and so, I think for me, um, I have to put in perspective. Um, my one of my old managers, she said, like you know, like she's done. She did DI work for a while and worked in nonprofit. And she said, you know, I had an old manager say to me, like, oh, what is with it? like we can only do what's in our purview. You know what I'm saying? We can only do what's in our purview. Uh, and like, that's how I, that's how I try and that's how I try and handle it. You know what I'm saying? Like um, I support those who need to be supported. Um, you know, there's a, I used to work um, uh, in higher education. I still have relationship with folks. I still have, I know folks that are doing, doing work like that. Um, I put out my podcast that I talk about these issues and, and try to put out practical steps of like, you know, what you can do, uh, learnings and teachings and stuff like that. I coach people. Um, I uh, go to organizations that are willing to, that are li- seriously willing to do the work. Um, and then, I, and then I rest, you know, like there is a, there is a um, liberation and rest and enjoy that, that comes with it. There's like a spiritual component that, that, is, that exists when you're doing this kind of work, because you're dealing with like people, you're dealing with lives, you're dealing with, humanity personhood right and so like there is a spiritual component to that and so like you can't continue to do this work and not recognize that like like you gotta breathe mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah you gotta just a like, take a hey, breath yeah balance um, all things right with yeah. exertion comes the the need to recuperate yeah so i i i try and keep what what keep it in perspective what can i actually do what can i not do um stay up on what i need to stay up on but like if I, if I don't speak on a, a topic on my podcast or if I don't share on Instagram about stuff or if I am not talking about it all the time, like I like give my procession, I give myself permission to like let it go. Like, can I actually do something about this? Probably not. Like I can send, I can send letters. I can make calls to my, my local representatives, you know, state representatives, you know, um, whatever, um, but like, I can only do what's in my purview. So like, that's kind of how I try and put it in perspective. But sometimes, honestly, it's, it is too much. It's a lot. And then I have to log off social media because like, it just, it's a, um, it's a lot of stuff that just goes off. There's always something that's going to be happening, um, in the world, in my community all the time. So just like, again, keep it in perspective. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the other thing is to remember I, that I remind myself is that, these companies, these algorithms are literally designed to make money off of us having a reaction, whether it be anger, joy, humor, whatever it is. Like that's, it's a extremely advanced computer mm-hmm. that is, <laughs> has us so deep in our brains and it's not to be trusted. Yeah. You know, I heard a comment today about how the social media is like a funhouse mirror of reality. Mm. You know, it's just like so twisted and not, not healthy. Yeah. But awesome, man. Well, we're, the time has flown by already. So we're going to pivot over to the, the three things game. Yeah, let's do it. 
So uh, what month is your birthday in? August. John? Yep. Oh, same. Yes. Let's go. Oh, okay. What day? August 12th. You're lying. Is it your birthday too? Yes. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. Unplanned, y'all. Yeah. Unplanned. That's wild. Yep. August Let's 12th. Let's go. Yep. It's the best day of the year. It is. It is. It's statistically proven. I know. Dope people are born that day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, uh, I'll, I'll give you the stage so you go first. So here's your question, okay. and then I'll have a different one. All right. What are three lessons that have taken you the longest to learn? Oof. Okay. That is a really good question. Three lessons that have taken me the longest to learn. Um, uh. All right. So number one, I, uh, so I posted this on my podcast, Instagram the other day is like, uh, my favorite comedian, Tony Baker. He, he posted something on his Instagram and he said, what is like, where does your insecurities like lie? Like, where is, what is the origin of your insecurities? Mm -hmm. And like, mine is, um, uh, mine is like not. So like the rejection by my biological father, like literally just like rejected me and my mom and all that stuff. So like a lot of that, has st- like pushes my like performance and like I have to be the best. I have to do this. I'm like highly critical of myself, highly critical of the work that I do, the stuff that I put out. Um, and so it's just really like letting go of like, you know, uh, perfectionism is taking like the longest um, time to learn. Like it's so hard to just like let something exist and not think about what others are going to think about it, you know? And like, that's, that's always in the back of my mind. Like, um, and I said that on Instagram and I literally avoided Instagram for two days. I'm not joking. I like put that, I like <laughs> vocalized that on Instagram. Um, and I, I wow. avoided, I avoided uh, Instagram cause I was like, ah, and I didn't realize like how anxious I was getting after I posted that. But, um, that's one of them. So letting go of perfectionism and stop thinking about what other people think about me. Um, also just like, just trying to have fun, just be like loosey goosey. You know what I'm saying? I think, um, my mom said this to me one time, like I overcalculate stuff all the time. Uh, and she's just like, you just stop being so calculated. Just do something, do something spontaneous. Like, um, being more spontaneous has been another hard lesson to learn. Um, cause like being spontaneous is hella fun. Um, and then let's see, sitting still, just being quiet and sitting still has been yeah. a hard lesson to learn, but it's super beneficial. I yet on Monday, I knew this week was going to be really busy. So I started my week out by like, I ate, made breakfast. I think I went on a walk um, and then I pulled out my yoga mat, grabbed a pillow. I didn't have any music, nothing. I put on like, um, like essential oils, whatever in my house. And I laid down on my, I laid down on my yoga mat and like just sat there and just turned on my like breathing app on my, um, my Apple watch and just like breathe for five minutes. It was like the best thing I could do to start my week, but it was so hard because my mind kept going everywhere. Um, But I just tried to focus my breathing. So sitting still. Yeah. Those are the first three. Those are the hardest three things. Awesome, man. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, bro. That's a great answer. Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Okay. Here's my question. What are three things you have learned about confidence? Mm, these are some good questions, yo. <laughs> this game is fire, man. I love it. The confidence, it's funny. It's fickle. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy, is it fickle. It's so fickle. Yep. Because I'd imagine August 12th, boys here we, we i've never lacked confidence would you say the same thing yeah no 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 yeah especially yeah. if so i get that, on a stage bro i'm good i'm good to go yeah, yeah. i love public speaking yeah 
<laughs> said no one ever, but <laughs> but but yeah, but then sometimes it's just gone, right? Mm. And in those moments, it's like it's almost it almost feels like a betrayal. It's like my friend, you've been here my whole life, and now you're gone. My confidence, like what happened? <laughs> truth, dog, truth. So I guess for me, the takeaway would be learning how to navigate those moments and mm. and what's missing, or uh, yeah, how to how to yeah deal. Number two, I think it's it's it can be shared. It can be a gift to give other people. Mm, that's good. Just by giving somebody credit or giving them props or saying is anything encouraging goes a long way. It's infectious. You know, I think it is kind of infectious, like, like a smile or like kindness. Mm-hmm. Number three. Oh, it's the worst when there's too much of it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, Oh God. Overconfident people just, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and I can be that person. I can time. too. It's hilarious. Yo. <laughs> yeah. People do not like it. I'm just like, it's like, yo. dude, get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, and the thing is, is like I love him but hate him. But the person that comes to mind immediately is like Conor McGregor. I'm like, how do you have as oh, much confidence, yes. bro? Dude, um, he's ridiculous. But I, I love. He's a great <laughs> follow on Instagram, bro. Like I'm For like, sure. bro, I can't get enough of stuff. I'm like, it's infectious, <laughs> dude. I'm like, I really wish I could do that. Just like get my ass knocked out and rocked, and my ankle, my my leg get broken in half, and still have the confidence you have. So yeah, dude, you posted a photo of him. Like getting a shoe shine or a video, he like has his walking stick, and he like tips the guy a hundred bucks for the shoe or whatever it is for the shoe shine. Yeah, and I'm just like, <laughs> like how how are you gonna be like how are you gonna be like a complete asshole and then also one of the nicest people? Like <laughs> it, it's it's wild because he just does some just nice shit like all the time. Yeah. It's just wild. So, anyways, I I yeah, love him, love him, hate him. Both. It's love hate relationship with Conor McGregor because I'm like you're such yeah. a douche, but I love you so much. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, he he would beat my ass though. I'm not gonna try and front. He would whoop my ass. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Those MMA guys are nuts. Yeah. Awesome, Jonathan. Well, where can the the good people find your services professionally and also your podcast? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, like uh, um, Thomas said at the top, like I'm a, a DEI consultant. So I help organizations with their organizational development and team development efforts. So I uh, go in and I'm an organizational psychologist, psychologist by trade, help you out. Um, and I also do one-to-one coaching or team coaching um, for my company as well. Just helping with like leadership and, and career uh, coaching. Um, and my business is called Common Culture Coaching and Consulting. You can find me at commonculturecc.com. Um, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, my website will be um, fully up and running. So you can reach out to me anytime there. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jonathan um, Lamel Dumas is, uh, is my name on there. Uh, Lamel is L-E-M-E-L-E. Dumas, D-U-N-A-S. Uh, and then you can find me on um, my podcast. I do Real Talk with Dumas podcast. You can find me anywhere your podcasts are live and up. Um, check me out uh, on IG at RTWD podcast. That is RTWD podcast. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at, man. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the Bro Nouveau podcast, Jonathan. It's been a, a real pleasure, man. Bro, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) All right, G. (laughs) See you. Thanks.